The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. What is the soul? In many religious, philosophical, and mythological traditions, the soul is the incorporeal essence of a living being. Soul, or psyche, comprises the mental abilities of a living being. Reason, character, feeling, consciousness, qualia, memory, perception, thinking, etc. Soul, in religion and philosophy, is the immaterial aspect of essence of a human being, that which confers individuality and humanity, often considered to be synonymous with the mind or the self. Tonight, we explore the soul. Do some people have reptilian souls? And is this why most of our leaders show a lack of empathy and compassion? If you're open-minded and want to know more, stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Gary Peter Carlson has had an interesting life filled with ups, downs, detours, but most importantly, a lot of enlightenment. Gary and I have corresponded for years, and it's time to bring him on. Instead of reading his biography, I will let Gary share his story. His website is icheckyoursoul.com. Gary joins us directly from Long Beach, California. Hello, Gary, and welcome to Veritas. Finally, how are you? I'm great. Oh, this is Gary Peter Carlson saying, nobody is anybody until you've been on Veritas Radio. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. But as I said before, you and I have corresponded for, what, a few years now, right? Yeah, yeah probably. Uh, I probably joined your deal when it was about three years in or something. Wow. So almost a decade with me. And I, the interesting part is that I always, just like, for example... Our friend Vic Giza, he's a, a graphic artist who lives in Mexico. Every week he sends us a comic strip. And I always, I like, like, a, like a kid, I'm always expecting his his comic strip every Thursday morning because that's when he sends it to me for, to be, you know, ready for the afternoon. The same thing I, for some reason, I do with you. After maybe a few hours, a few days after an interview is done, I'm always on the lookout for Gary's email because I'm curious to know what he's going to tell me about the person, about the talk we had, and uh, very interesting. So after so many years, I thought, let's bring him on. Let's talk about his story, which, by the way, I didn't know a lot of it until now. So why don't we begin with your story in chronological order, Gary? Okay, well, I was born in Chicago and lived there for 
the first uh, two years of my life, which I remember one thing, getting an electric shock or something behind the couch with a toy wheel on the plug or something. <laughs> That's all I can remember from the, those years. <clears throat> I, I think I'm, I'm told that I took the bathroom door apart and locked my mother and brother in there. <laughs> Uh, which was a big problem at one point. <laughs> they had to yell out the window for someone walking by to come and help. <laughs> but anyway, uh, then we moved to, my dad was in plastics, uh, vacuum forming, kind of, it was like a new thing back then in the uh, 50s, 50s or whatever. We, we moved to Michigan First in the Thumb of Michigan for a while, uh, Emily City, I think it was called. And then, and then we came to the Lansing area, and I stayed there and grew up. Uh, my mother and father divorced when I was seven, and my mother remarried shortly after that. And I lived on a farm in, in to Lansing. <laughs> but it's rural, you know, I had small farms and stuff like that <clears throat> and a city part too. But anyway, most, most of my childhood, I hung out with my older brother, 16 months older. And <clears throat> we explored the area all over in the woods and fields and rivers. And we were always catching uh, turtles, frogs and snakes a little bit. <laughs> We had nets and all this fancy thing you could get back then and, and knew all the secret places to go and steal somebody's boat sometime a little bit. <laughs> we had a lot of fun back then doing that. And I played with some of the neighbor kids too, uh, touch football and stuff. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. I, I didn't really like that too much. Uh, the nuns were... Some of the nuns were really mean. Uh, they had it out to, to try to hurt kids. They wanted to hit and inflict pain on kids when they uh, when they wanted to. Sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. They just made it up. I later found out that some of the, at least one of these nuns had a reptilian soul. So she was an evil person. My mother raised hell with the school and even got a nun kicked out once. Anyway, I, I was pretty good at single sports like golf and bowling. I was the uh, most valuable player in on golf when I was a senior. But we didn't have a real good golf team, so it wasn't uh, didn't mean I was a fantastic player, only a good player. But I continued playing a lot of golf in my adult life. I tried college. I went to Michigan Tech University. I planned on majoring in mathematics. I liked that. But right after I got there, I was kind of schooled into that's not a good major. You can't do much with it after you graduate. And this is an engineering school. And everybody there, there was like, I don't know, three, four, five kinds of engineers, mechanical, electrical, civil, mining, and maybe something else. Uh, so I switched to mechanical engineering right away. But by about the end of the second year, I just wasn't getting there, and I quit. 
I tried another college where my brother graduated to work on the big ships in the Great Lakes. And I didn't like that. And I quit that, that right away. And then um, I was kind of lost in life. So I joined the military. I was like 21 then or something like that. And they said you could go wherever you wanted and pick your job and duty station. They had a, that was the deal they had going for recruiting at that point. So I went through the deal and I, I said, well, I want to go to Hawaii. And they says, well, we don't have anything in Hawaii. I got real high on the entrance exam. I was like 98% or something like that. I was pretty smart. Wasn't the smartest guy, but I was among the, the real smart people. So the guy said, well, we don't have anything in Hawaii. And I said, well, I don't want to join then. I said, that's what I wanted to go to Hawaii. And, and then the guy, wait a minute, wait a minute. We'll check things out a little more here. And the guy looked at my score and he says, well, we got two choices. You can be an atomic demolition, a munition specialist. Or you can be a laundry and bath specialist. And I picked a nuclear weapons one, which after I got there and went through it all, I realized was a mistake. <laughs> it would have worked out better to pick the laundry and bath specialist. Uh -huh. I worked on two small nuclear weapons that were obsolete even when I was in on it. They could blow up a large bridge or something like that or big buildings, and he could set them off by radio, wire, or timer. Where, where did they send you if it was not Hawaii? I, I went to Hawaii. I went to oh, Hawaii. so you did go to Hawaii. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, the guy said, well, wait a minute. We'll check things out closer. And then they found two jobs in Hawaii. I could have worked a laundry and bath specialist at Tripler Hospital. Or I picked a nuclear demolition and munition specialist at Schofield Barracks. Okay. They had another big army base right near there, Fort Shafter. They had, on Oahu, I think they got like uh, 20 bases, all kinds of little Air Force bases on every little corner. They got Pearl Harbor and Hickam Air Force Base are two big ones. But they got Barber's Point and... I don't know, all kinds of little ones. Uh, but I, I and, and it worked out real good for me. Uh, right after I got there, I figured out body surfing, which you had to learn it. It wasn't, it isn't something you can just easily do. Something you had the skill you had to learn. I got a, took me a few months and, and then, and I also signed up for scuba diving in my time off. So I I tried to get every moment I could away from the army and go either body surfing or scuba diving, mostly body surfing and, and some I did some snorkeling and free diving, spearing fish and stuff like that. I wasn't the greatest at that, but I was I would swim out to the third reef and swim down about twenty five thirty feet and hide behind a ledge. And then let the buoyancy slowly float me up. And as I peered over the ledge, if there was a close by fish, I would shoot it and, and we would cook it on the beach. That came up a little bit. That was fun. Mm, Mokalei Army Beach. 
has that uh, one one side of uh, Oahu. Hey, he tried not to click on the pen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's not a good move. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so, what happened after the military, or did you? Is there something of relevance that you learned while at the military? Um, probably nothing I can really explain, but. I learned a lot of things in life from being in there and about people and all that. I was, I, when I first got in there, I was trying hypnosis on everybody. <laughs> I was working out. It was kind of fun. Uh, but I didn't gain anything from it. Didn't, didn't know anything about past lives or any of that stuff or nothing I know now. Well, you could do some goofy things. But, yeah, uh, when the military was over, I maneuvered to have a few thousand when the military was over. <clears throat> and I had a friend waiting for me in Las Vegas. And I, I went to Las Vegas and planned to be a professional gambler. <laughs> and I didn't know hardly anything. Uh, you know, I read a couple poker books, uh, you know, what's the order of the hands and stuff like that. But but let me interject for a second. So how, how did you, I presume you were honorably discharged from the military, right? Yeah, completed so, for three years and one month. I extended for a month and then got out after three years and a month. So what what makes someone leave the military and immediately think, I'm going to become a professional gambler? You know, <laughs> I don't know, but that's I played some poker in the military. And everybody was bad, but there were some cheaters and hustlers. And I, and I got taken at one point a little bit but I won most of the time and I just thought that I I could do good at it you know before I was going in there I was hanging out with this guy and we were reading these gambling books and gambling systems and stuff this other guy I knew that I bowled with you know I did a lot of bowling too uh even in a mill one time at one point in the military I was in the league all seven days <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, I, I thought that would be a great life if, if it would work out. And when I got there, I told the people I met when I first got there what I was doing. And, and they walked away laughing, you know, thinking this guy's an idiot. He ain't, ain't going to get there. Um, and then about six months later, I was better than them. And they realized they were wrong. This is what year? And this is Vegas, correct? Yeah, I got there in, in January 79 with about six grand. And and, and they, they had two small games, seven-card stud and, and limit hold'em. And, and, and for some reason, the rake was $3 in stud and it was a $1.50 in hold'em back at the Mint, which was attached to the horseshoe at that point. So I said, all right, it's better to play Hold'em. <laughs> the house take is less. And then uh, I eventually, uh, this one guy, he dropped a $20 bill. He was trying to get a poker seat. And he dropped a $20 bill on the floor. And I'm sitting at the game in a chair. And it's like right sort of behind my chair, a little bit to the side. And the $20 bill is just laying on the floor. And then him and the brush man, which is the guy that seats you in the poker, teach you in a poker game. They walked away to get him a seat somewhere. So I picked up the 20 and I thought about it for a minute or so. 
And I says, well, I'm doing good. I'm not broke or nothing. I'm going to go give this guy back his 20. So I did that. And the guy became friendly with me. And uh, we ended up moving in the same apartment with me. And 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 he was into uh, card counting and blackjack. So he taught me how to do that. We we spent hours at the kitchen table practicing blackjack. So if he hadn't given the $20 back, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would have missed out on that. Maybe I would have found blackjack some other way, but it's doubtful. But this guy gave me step-to-step instructions on, on how to play it, how to how to card count the cards going by and make the strategy changes when the count goes up or down. And, you know, it was all in a book. You, you had to just memorize the tables in the book and then practice the cards, you know, to, to count as the cards go by. Twos through sixes are plus one, seven, eights, and nines are zero. Tens and aces are minus one. So if you go through the whole deck, it'll come out to zero. But along the way in the deck, if you got a plus count, that means more little cards have gone by and there's more aces and tens left. And that's an advantage for the player because you you can get blackjack. Uh, and if you both get a stiff, which is which is uh, a hand 12 through 16, where you could take a hit and go over and lose. Uh, if you both get a stiff, you could the player could stay on his stiff and then the dealer would likely get a 10 card and go over and the player would win. Uh, so the player has an advantage with more high cards left. You got three to two on blackjack and you could split pairs and double down and all that stuff, which was an advantage to the player. How, how many years and how much money, if you don't mind my asking, did you spend doing this before they cut on cut on to what you were doing? And I'm thinking of the movie Rain Man. Remember Rain Man? Yeah. Any similarities to what, what Rain Man used to do and what you you, you did? Yeah, there's some of it. There's some parts of it, but some of it is bullshit that work out. I I, I don't remember. The movie was so long ago. I don't have a. I remember they, they had the guy that was mentally challenged and he could do mathematical things and follow the deck. And He was autistic. Yeah, follow the six decks and tell the guy when to up his bed or whatever, something like that. And they had it where he could win for sure or something, I think, in the movie. And that don't come up. What comes up is you get a, you, you get a 1% edge on the next few hands coming out. Uh, and anyway, you, you try to get a 1% edge on all the money you bet. And you, and you try to bet a uh, hundred hands an hour, maybe a hundred dollars a hand. You try to get 10,000 bet per hour in a bunch of hands. And with a 1% advantage, uh, oh, you're, you're going to win a hundred dollars an hour. You know, 100 is 1% of 10,000 or whatever, I think. Um, so you so you, you try to play as many hands with with an overall advantage. You know, sometimes you got a disadvantage and you bet real small. And then other times you got an advantage. And by how big of an advantage it is, you would bet higher. You'd, you'd, you'd take your bankroll and divide it in. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.